again this week. We had a tremendous time on last week as we did the joint service with Harvest, and I was grateful to um, be able to worship with them and worship on a Sunday morning. That certainly was a um, pleasure to me just to be able to preach on a Sunday morning. So we are praying that at some point um, the Lord will make a way for us to be able to do that um, on the consistent basis. So as you know, we've been working through the book of Acts, and so we're going to continue in working through that book. And as we're working, we've we've already gotten to chapter 17. And as we're in chapter 17, we're going to be looking at what happens when Paul and Silas end up getting to... um, when they get to Berea. Now, we looked two weeks ago, if you remember, about what happened when they got to Thessalonica. And so this week, we're going to look at what happens when they get to Berea and what the difference in the response of the people are here who hear the word. So go with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 17, verse number 10. Acts chapter 17, verse number 10. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, They came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now, If you remember two weeks ago, the last time we were in um, our passage was looking at what happened when they had preached the word of God, when they had preached the gospel to the people there in Thessalonica. And if you remember, they gave us a typical response that we have seen happen in Acts, which is they hear the gospel and they are angered by the gospel, specifically those Jews who hear it in the synagogue. Now, what they hear that angers them is ultimately that you are guilty sinners who have crucified Jesus Christ, our only means of salvation. Remember, I've talked about this before. There is good news and bad news to the gospel. And for the unbeliever, it's only bad news. And in fact, if you are an unbeliever, the only thing you hear is the bad news, which is I'm a guilty sinner who is apart from Jesus. But if you are a believer, then you also hear the good news, which means, but because I'm a guilty sinner, Christ is able to redeem me and is my only means of salvation. Now, when these people were hearing the gospel in Thessalonica, all they heard was the bad news because they were still very much dead in their sins. And so when they heard this, they were angered and they wanted to harm Paul and Silas. If you remember, they even pressed Jason, who they had been rooming with, to find out where they had been to know whether or not they could get them and possibly do harm to them in that place. Now, this seems to be just a bit different in Thessalonica than a response we get here in Berea. They seem to be more excited about the gospel than those in Thessalonica. Now, one of the interesting things that I think that we can see clearly all throughout the book of Acts, which should be an encouragement to all of us, is that 
Listen, there are no special formulas to get people saved. There are no unique words. There are no catchphrases that we use. Salvation is just the work of Jesus Christ alone. What I want you to be reminded is if you remember the beginning of Acts, I mentioned to you, Paul had probably been present at every one of those sermons that the gospel was being preached at. But he doesn't get saved until Acts chapter nine. So we learn is that when any of us comes to faith, it is not because the preacher is good or bad. It is not because the person is good. It is because the gospel is sufficient and God sufficiently saves whomever he saves. And so what I want to do is work specifically with this today, work deeply with this, because in this text, there are some of the reminders for us of the importance of the word of God. Listen, whether or not the preacher is as effective as he could be, whether or not the person is as receptive as they could be, the Bible makes it clear is that the only way men and women come to saving faith is that they hear the gospel, that they hear the preached word of God. And so I want us to focus on that today. So you'll note the sermon title is It's in the Book. It's in the Book. The reason that is our sermon title today, is because we're going to see how these Bereans, when they were wondering about what was true, they didn't go to any external sources. They went directly to the word of God to validate what they believed. One of the biggest challenges today to the Christian faith and probably of all time, but even more so today, is that there is a vehement attack by the world against the divinity and the truth of the word of God. Not only is this attack happening outside of the church, but I would argue that many of the people who are attacking the word of God are also coming from within the church as well. And so what I hope that we can do is do the same thing that the Bereans did. Take a page out of their book. And when we have questions regarding the word, regarding God, regarding life, that we go straight to the scriptures in order to confirm what is actually true. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the points of today's sermon just so you'll know what they are. Have them in your minds. The first one is receive the word. The second one is examine the word. And the third is believe the word. These are the three principles that we're primarily going to work with today. Now, Luke is careful here to make the distinction that the Bereans, contrary to what happened in Thessalonica, actually received the word of God with eagerness. The way the Greek is written here is that it says that because they received the word with eagerness, they were more noble than those Jews who had not received it. And so that brings us right into our first point, which is receive the word, receive the word, receive the word. It has been said that the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is that the believer received and believed what they heard regarding the word of God, regarding the gospel, regarding the truth. Now, these Jews who would have heard the word certainly had a unique relationship with the Old Testament, didn't they? For them. The Old Testament was all the scripture that they had. And so when these men come, they're telling them about Jesus. All they are able to do is go to the Old Testament. Not only that, though, but these men who are preaching Paul, Peter and Paul and Silas and all the others, their means of justification for saying the reason why we know this is true is because he was spoken of to us in the Old Testament. So what are they preaching when they get up and preach? 
They're preaching the Old Testament. They're preaching the scriptures that were there and they're telling them this is how you know this is that Jesus that was spoken of to us by the prophets. They use it as their source of validation. And so when the Bereans heard this, they wanted to make sure that they were actually understanding what was properly being spoken about the word. Believing and receiving the word of God is not a matter of what you are able to believe with your head. It's not. Very often we think that we can conjure up belief in our heads, but the reality is is that belief is a matter of the heart. And this is the great struggle for man. Because we are so bent to be able to do something in our rational minds to come to save in faith. But the reality is, is that none of us is able to create belief in our heart on our own. Look at what Romans 10 and 8 says. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. The Bible makes it clear here that we believe and we believe not as a matter of our what we are able to believe in our head, but what God creates in our heart. Jesus must be revealed to us. We receive the word and when it permeates our hearts, then belief happens and then we're changed. Listen, we need not go to any external sources as a means to know about what we need in our lives. Everything that we need to know that is true about God, that is true about this world is found in Scripture. For Christ, for the Christian, everything that we know to be true should be found in the word of God. It reminds me of the story of that older couple where the old man was having a particularly difficult time remembering what the passcode to his safe was. And after ruminating on it for more than a few minutes, he couldn't come up with it. So as we're typically want to do as husbands, he goes to his wife and asks her if she could remember what his passcode was. And she told him that she could not, but she did give him a recommendation. She said, honey, I think you should go open your Bible to John 14, 26. I bet if you open it, it'll come right back to you. Now, if you don't know, John 14, 26 says, I will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have spoken to you. And so when he heard this, he's like, listen, I know that scripture. I can quote it. It says I will bring to your remembrance. He's like, I don't think that really applies here in this case. She says, no, listen, I think if you go to John 14, 26, you know what the scripture says, but I think going to it will help you remember what your passcode is. And again, he disagrees. After going back and forth for more than a few minutes, of course, she won. And he went and grabbed his Bible and he flipped to John 14, 26. Now, when he flipped to John 14, 26, to his surprise, it did come to his remembrance. He did remember. And he was shocked. And he said, honey, oh, my God, you were right. I do remember. I'm so thankful that you told me to go to it. Wow, that's unbelievable. He closed his Bible, put it back up, and he goes and he puts the code in the safe. His wife had taped the passcode combination 
on that text. Maybe it doesn't always work so simply for us that way, but the reality is, is that whenever we go to Scripture, we should be anticipating that all the answers to life are found there. This means that there are two ways that I think we should see that Scripture can be used. In one way, we see these Bereans who were Jewish. They believed the word of God and they believe in the God of the scripture, but they weren't so sure about Jesus. And what they do to confirm that that was true is that they examined the word of God. The word that is used here in the Greek literally means to sift or to scrutinize or to investigate. They knew that the only way they could know what was true about what they were saying and what they were preaching would be that they went to the word of God in order to confirm it. Now, I've mentioned this word before and I'll mention again It's a very important word. And that word is presupposing. They are presupposing that everything that is written in the Bible is already true from the very beginning. In the beginning, God, if it says it, I'm presupposing that what the Bible says is already true. And that people perhaps is the safest place to be in as a believer. I found that people are more apt to scrutinize and question the word of God itself than to question some jackleg preacher who may tell, tell you something that's not true. We should be willing to scrutinize and measure what we hear regarding the word against what the word actually says. And so that brings us to our second point. Examine the word. Examine the word. I want to give you a few statistics about what people currently believe about the Bible. So um, the Barner Group, they conduct research, all right? And so the most recent research they did regarding the Bible, 2021, they have a few categories. I want you to notice a trend about these categories, and then I'm going to give you the last one. So the first thing we notice is that according to Bible usage, according to the Barner Research Group, in 2021, 50% of people, 50% of people said that they actually use their Bibles. Now, I actually am encouraged when I first hear that number because that's far more than I would imagine. 50% of people, that's half of the people say that they do use the Bible. Now, they ask another question. Do you think that our country would be worse off, better off, or about the same without the Bible? Again, the majority surprised me. 54% of people said that they actually believe that we would be worse off as a country if we didn't have the Bible. 33% of the people said that we'd be about the same, and 14% of the people said that we would be better off. So, look, that's encouraging. The first statistic, the majority of people, or half the people believe or said that they use the Bible. The second one says 54% of people believe that we would be worse off without it. This next one ask what people believe about the Bible to be true. And so 26% of people said that the Bible is the actual word of God and should be taken literally, word for word. The Bible, 29%, probably where I fall, the Bible is inspired word, the inspired word of God and has no errors, although some verses are meant to be symbolic rather than literal. 15% said the Bible is the inspired word of God but has some factual or historical errors. The Bible was not inspired by God, but tells how the writers of the Bible understood the ways and principles of God. That was 9%. Then 13% said the Bible is just another book. 
teachings written by people that contain, that contain stories and advice. So this is pretty encouraging. The majority of people from all of these statistics w- would actually say that they think that the Bible has a great deal of value, not only personally in their lives, but like the people who say they think the country would be worse off without it. They actually think that the Bible has an important um, factor in you know, us nationally as well. But then there's this final stat. How often do you use your Bible on your own? How often do you use your Bible on your own? 29% of people said never. 29% of people said never. So if you don't know how stats work, this is the way you measure stats off. If in every other category, the majority of the people said that we use the Bible, we think the Bible should be used, we think that people are better off, we believe that what the Bible says is true. And then the majority of those same people said, but I'm actually never using it. I'm actually never picking it up. Now you say, well, maybe that's not that bad. Well, the second highest number was that people said that they use it less than once a year. I'm afraid that these statistics are probably revealing something true to us about ourselves as well. And if you look at them, you notice something. That even for the people who profess their belief in the Bible, there is not a lot of real action from the Bible actually being applied in their lives that actually backs what the Bible says up. So what is the problem here? There is clearly a disconnect. And I think there's more of a disconnect happening every single day that we pass and we live within this pandemic. Not only are we becoming more detached from God, you know, those of us who really were never attached in the first place, but we're also those of us who do believe are being less attached to the fellowship of the body and less attached to the actual word of God. What we notice here is that most people are probably comfortable just having a comfortable relationship with the word. Why is that? Because many people think that Christianity is just like the other religions where the book that you have is like an accompanying workbook to the religion. When you need it, you pick it up. It's needs based only. But we are certainly not expected to devote our entire lives to it. Right. Personally, I am often stunned when I'm having conversations with people with their lack of biblical literacy. I'm surprised at the amount of time that I'm having conversations with professed believers and they will say things that directly contradict what the Bible says. And I always feel like I'm the Bible not. So I'm like, well, you know, the Bible says, well, I didn't know it said that. Well, how else do we expect to know what the Bible says? Listen, if these Bereans were so willing to search the Bible to know that whether or not what they were hearing was true, how much more should believers search the scriptures to be reminded of what is true? I forget all the time. I forget all the ways that I'm supposed to be devoting myself to God. And when we go to scripture, it is a quick reminder that in all the places that I may be relaxing in my relationship with God, it is a reminder. And that's a beautiful thing. The scripture that I just quoted, John 14, it says that I will bring to your remembrance the things that I've said to you. But he's not going to bring to your remembrance the things that are not in your memory. The only way God is going to bring to your remembrance what has been spoken in the scriptures, you got to know the scriptures. You got to study the scriptures. 
We have such lack of an appetite when it comes to actually sitting together and even on our own opening the word of God or coming together to study the word of God. We do not have it together. And the Bible is more than a manual for our life. The Bible says that these words, they are spirit and they are life. My very life is found in the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us as the only begotten of the father. So if I am neglecting to find myself in fellowship with the word of God, inevitably, I am neglecting to find myself in fellowship with Jesus Christ himself. Let that sink in. That how much I am in my word is affecting how much I am in my Savior. How much I know to be true about the word of God is affecting how much I know to be true about God. You say Jesus is the Savior sent to redeem us. Show it to me in the scriptures. I realize more and more the reason why believers don't share their faith is because they literally don't know enough about it to share it. They don't. And so when they get when they get approached by somebody, it's like, I want to tell you everything there is about Jesus. What can you tell me? Hold on. Let me get my Bible. Let me go find it. Let me. You know what? No, no mind. I got my phone right here. All right. Now, what you said, let me search Jesus. I know how we do. Everything's been enabled for us. Prove to me that what we are saying in the pulpit is true. In the Bible. Now, I said that we that you need to be able to examine the word. It says, but how can I properly know that I'm examining the word? When we read in Second Timothy two and 15, Paul actually admonished Timothy as a man of God, as a preacher of the gospel to be a workman and handle the word of God with care. The word that is actually used there is to cut it straight as a carpenter makes precise cuts and measurements. We are to cut it straight to make sure that what is actually written is what is actually intended to say. And this verse is not just limited to the preachers, people. We are not just the people who need to be right, divide, rightly dividing the word. If you are a believer, we are all God's workers. We are all his ambassadors. We are all his disciples. And we have all been called to not only handle the word of God with care, but also make sure that the word of God is being handled with care as well. Listen, in the pews, you are not just some casual observer, but you have been called to hold me and all other preachers and pastors, all men of God, accountable for what they're saying regarding the word of God. We are supposed to funnel the narrative of the world, everything that the world says in secular society, and see what the Bible says about it and to know how the world is differing from the word. The world says this regarding God. OK, let me go to the word. What does the word say? The world says this regarding sexuality. OK, what does the word say? I don't need scientific facts, people. Give me the word of God. Give me the word. I don't need your external evidence. What does the word of God say? 
I don't believe that a tree is a tree because a scientist told me it. I believe it because it says in the beginning, God created. That's why I believe a tree is a tree. Listen, I was reading this article this past week, and it said that scientists, the exact word in the article, was, were baffled that in an all-female shark tank, a group of non-asexual sharks who had been in, their, in that same tank for years, one of the sharks got pregnant. Scientists baffled. Well, I'm not baffled. No, I'm not baffled because the Bible says that God created everything that is in the sea and everything that swarms in it. God created me. He created you. I know exactly how that happened. God created. That's how it happened. I don't need any external evidence. I have the word of God. I'm not confused. I know what the word says regarding this matter. Finally, that brings us to our third and final point. Believe the word. Believe the word. So we receive the word, but we also examine what we receive. And once we've received it, once we've examined, we see that what has been said is true. We have no other choice but to believe the word. The full culmination of receiving the word and examining the word should be that we believe it. This is what we would hope the responses to the word of God is in all of our lives. Once I took to the word as the source of truth and once I see that it validates itself and then and that I can look out in the world and see that everything in life is just as the Bible says. then the most reasonable thing I can do is believe what it says. That's it. Now, believing the word is believing all of the things that the word meant when it was actually written. That means that I have a belief in the in the word that is built on the actual context of the word. Not oh, I think this verse means this. Therefore, I'm applying it in my life this way. That's not how it works. What did God mean when he wrote that scripture? That is the only meaning that scripture has to me. I can't make it mean something else. If that is what God said, then that is what it means. There is no extra context to make me more comfortable with it. I go with what the word of God says. So that means that I actually have a belief built on the real truth, because you'll notice there are lots of believers. You ever have a conversation with another person who professes to be a believer. You will learn that if a person is not rightly divided in scripture, they'll believe a lot of things that are about God, but not true about God. In order for me to have true faith in God, I have to know that what it was saying is what it meant when it was written. I don't want to believe something about God that is not true because I didn't examine and believe the word accurately. This past week, I was watching a documentary um, on Thursday, I believe. I watched a documentary it was about how the charismatic movement had affected families in Nigeria. And just in case you don't know, I'm, I almost couldn't get through it. And not many things affect me in the way that this did, but it really affected me. But what was hap what's happening right now in Nigeria is not different than what's happening with the Pentecostal charismatic movement today in America. But in Nigeria, what was happening is there are these preachers who have convinced the families there that their children are misbehaving as a result of demonic influence. 
And if you know anything about Africa, they believe heavily in spiritism. And so these believers who are claiming to be Christian preachers are saying, if you pay us $100, we can cast that demon out of your child. Now, for the ones who can't afford it, they do. They actually take that money and they cast the demon out. But for many of them, they actually can't afford it. And so what they end up doing, because spiritism is a real thing in Africa, they forsake the children. And all these children are huddling up together. And, and it's, it's the worst thing. I mean, these are little kids and they've been convinced by these preachers. Now, we can look at that. I find it funny. We can look at that and it's like, oh, that's crazy. That makes no sense at all. But let somebody tell us if you give me five dollars, you'll get five hundred. We'll believe that in a second. It's the same thing happening, though. It's the same principle. They're manipulating people's lack of belief. At one point, the man who is saving a lot of these children, he tries to reconcile the families back with the children. And so he brings his sweet little girl. And he wants to reconcile her back with her dad, and her dad wouldn't even touch her. And then he was saying all these things about her that weren't true. But the thing that affected me the most is a very often misquoted scripture that he used to justify how he had treated her. He said, well, the Bible says that you're supposed to beat your children with a stick. That's what he said. Now, I played this for my students at the school, and I told them, I was like, y'all, he's referring to the scripture that says, spare the rod and spoil the child. I was like, but I have some breaking news to you. That ain't about swinging a rod. If you don't know that what he was talking about, the rod, a staff that a, that a shepherd would use in order to lead the sheep, they only followed the shepherd when he had his rod, when he had his staff, which it means lead your children well, not just beat them because they don't do what you want them to do. Upon hearing that one of the students said, well, I want a refund. It's like, I bet you do. I probably need one, too. I bet we all need some refunds on that. And I'm not saying that, you know, corporate punishment is a bad thing. But what I am saying is you see how somebody had built an entire belief about how to discipline his child to the fact that he had actually driven her out of his home. And the scripture that he was using to justify that he had misinterpreted. It is important that what we know about the scriptures is what the scriptures actually meant when they were reading, when they were written. It has to be true. What we believe about God has to be found in what God intended when those scriptures were written. And so my advice as we close is that everything that you need to know about life is not just found in, you know, arbitrarily going to the word of God. But it's found in going to the word of God, examining the word for yourself and making sure that it is rightly divided so that you have a belief in God that is built on truth, not built on fables. Listen, it is not the most popular thing to say, well, we only go with the word of God here. We don't go with anything else. But the reality is, is that we will only be accepted by God when we understand who the God of the Bible actually is. And that the only thing that we can contribute to that as believers is that we actually open up the Bible. And so I want you to think about this, you know, going into this next week. How many times am I opening my word of God? How many times am I fellowshipping with other believers to study the word of God? How many times am I, am I going to my personal devotions to know how I need to personally apply the word of God? How many times am I having conversations about the word of God? 
And then I want you to look at where you are in your life right now and see if there's a connection to how much time you're spending in the word. See if what is going on in your life, good or bad, is connected to what you know to be true about the word of God and what you're actually practicing in the word. Listen, I know it's Labor Day weekend and Labor Day is tomorrow and I will be resting from, you know, my labor counting. But we should not see the Bible, reading the Bible, studying the word. That's not labor. That's a privilege. Being able to fellowship in the word is a privilege. Because I wish I could shake people and get them to understand this. Being able to sit down, even though we do it on a Zoom, and talk about the word of God is a privilege because I've mentioned Afghanistan every single week and I will not stop until we get it. They would love to have that privilege. They would love to have the privilege of gathering around the word of God and being encouraged by what it says. We shouldn't take it for granted. We shouldn't take it for granted. We should believe that the Bible is not only true, but it will have a tremendous impact on the lives that we live. It's in the book. Everything that you need, your singleness, your married life, your young age, your old age, your career decisions. Everything that you think you need to go somewhere else for, it's all in the book. You just got to know what the Bible actually says about it. And you just have to believe that it's sufficient. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you have given us a unique book, God, that is not like any other religion. No other religion has what we have, that the very manifestation of the word of God is God himself. That we are not just looking at, you know, arbitrary words, but God, that you have given and provided for us all truth and all life in the word. Lord, it is my prayer that we will consistently find ourselves engaging and indulging in the word of God. Lord, that you're going to create for us an appetite, a desire to hear what you have spoken about life. God, I don't need direct special revelation. I have the Bible. God, I don't need a motivational speaker. I have the word of God. Lord, I don't need 12 steps to freedom. I know what the Bible says. I just have to open it. I just have to receive it. I can examine it, make sure what I'm believing is true. But ultimately, I just have to believe it. God, help us believe what you've written. God, help us desire the word of God. Lord, there may be people in here now who are either watching or present who don't know who you are, God. Lord, we are who we are because of you. We are saved because when we were born here apart from you, we had accrued our own personal sin and the sin that was passed down to us from Adam and Eve and God, we are born dead in our sins. And there was nothing we could do on our own. 
except that the penalty that was due to us, God, you poured on the back of Jesus, who was truly man and truly God, and he endured the punishment in a matter of days that we would have endured for all of eternity so that we wouldn't have to be separated eternally from you. You've given us eternal life in you, God. Lord, my prayer is that you would reveal that truth to us and know that once that truth is revealed, all we do is repent and believe the gospel. And that is only possible because of Jesus, not by our works, but his works. We just have to believe it. God, help us believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.